0: Welcome to Open Banking Expo Unplugged, bringing you the brightest minds in open banking, open finance and beyond. Hello, and welcome to another episode of Open Banking Expo Unplugged, the podcast series brought to you by Open Banking Expo. I'm Ellie Duncan, Head of Content here, and today I'm delighted to be joined by Lena Hackler. Founder of Bright Payments, uh, she actually founded the company in 2019, so only a few years ago, and it now operates across 21 markets in Europe. Um, Lena has worked in fintech for a number of years prior to founding Bright Payments, uh, including a role at buy now pay later provider Klarna. So we'll certainly go on to find out not only about other previous experience in the industry, but also uh, Lena's company that, that she founded and her thoughts on the kind of fintech and and payment space, of course, where there's so much going on at the moment. So Lena, welcome
1: to the podcast. Hello, thank you so much for having me.
0: Not at all. Um, Well, look, I mentioned in my intro uh, that you you founded the company Bright Payments in 2019. So definitely keen to come on to find out more about um, why you founded it, uh, how you've grown the business. But first of all, up until then, what was your experience in the payments industry?
1: As you, as you already mentioned, I got my start in payments when I started at Klarna in 2010. Um, so it was a rather coincidental start into the industry. Um, it was more so that I, I started at Klarna than actually actively looking to get a start in payments. So when, um, I moved to Sweden then in 2010, Klarna was a relatively small company compared to where they are today. Now they're obviously a couple of thousand people. That wasn't the case back then. And I initially started in the marketing department in Klarna. So focused on building their, B2B marketing team and obviously back then sort of buy now, pay later wasn't at all a common term it was all very new and we then worked together with a really great team of people for yeah seven years in total um, to build that category across Europe and all of course the different markets that they're in to, uh, today for example Germany was already a big focus then so that's how I initially got my start so very much a background in buy now, pay later after Klarna, I moved on to another company in the same space, but that was more focused on consumer finance overall, so also consumer loans, savings accounts, and the like. So I have quite the background in, the, in what we normally call the alternative payment space.
0: Okay, so um, it's great you kind of built up a, a little bit of background there for people who our audience who perhaps don't know you very well. And then it gets to, to 2019, and you found Bright Payments. So can you tell me a little bit about... How that came about then, the the idea for the business and, and what you do.
1: So having been in the space for um, at that point um, a little over ten years almost, I was looking into the different payment categories across Europe and how they were developing. And one thing that caught my eye was account to account payments, um, that I think analysts generally agree are set to be growing really fast on the back of open banking, um, actually, but also improving infrastructure in Europe. Um, so I was looking at that a little bit, and in my last role before founding the company in Cleo. Um, we had a checkout solution that had a number of different um, payment options in it. And one of them was an account-to-account payment method. So I benchmarked a little bit across Europe. And I, my time in Klarna, I had spent quite some time working on an acquisition that we made of a company called Sofort, which is the, if you will, the original account-to-account payment company in Europe, even prior to open banking even becoming a term. Uh, so I'd already gotten some insights into how that worked um back to your McLarna time and now doing some more research i realized that there was an opportunity on the market to build um a new a new generation or the next generation of account based payments focusing on um consumer interfaces and consumer branding while at the same time delivering on a really promising merchant experience so that's how the uh, how the idea started and then um, I, I think I moved quite quickly. I got funding straight away for the business um, from a tech fund here in Stockholm. Um, I have a co-founder on board called Robert um, who contributed sort of the early code uh, to get the bus- business up and running. Um, so that's when we when we started out. And now three years later, we're 70 people right now headquartered in Stockholm, but with offices all across Europe, um, purely focused on um, instant bank payments. So that's the only thing we actually do is account-based payments based on open banking technology always fully um, receiving the funds so we also do instant payouts for example one thing that um, sets us apart from competition and that is our focus moving on as well.
0: And you mentioned that uh, your, your base which is obviously Stockholm and, and the fact that obviously you were able to, to find some funding to start the business is there quite a thriving sort of fintech scene in in Stockholm and in that region?
1: Absolutely, very much so. I would say that, um, Stockholm is actually very much of a fintech stronghold. There's a number of large companies here in town, um, a number of unicorns actually. So overall for tech. Uh, Stockholm, I think, has an extremely strong talent pool, but fintech especially. And much of it, I think, is due, and I get that question quite often, much of it is due also to the fact that not only do you have access to great talent, but also the Nordics generally have very strong digital infrastructure that you can build quite beautiful products on. Um, So it's a good sort of starting ground to pioneer a product that you can then take into other larger European markets from here. So um, from my point of view, it's, it's a really good place to start a fintech business, actually.
0: I know that that obviously you've mentioned that the kind of hub there and, and the fact that there is this thriving fintech scene. But I, I guess one of the, if you will, accusations um, often thrown at Europe is is actually it does have quite a kind of fragmented payments ecosystem still. We've obviously got different parts and different countries still at various stages. So Perhaps you can just explain how you see the European payments landscape, first of all, and then some of the challenges maybe within A2A payments and and API integration in in the region.
1: Mm, No, absolutely. So I think you're perfectly right. So generally sort of Europe has um, quite a range of different payment methods and the preference, the consumer preference varies quite a lot uh, across the different markets. So you can't really have... Um, the same payment mix as an online retailer or as any online merchant um, for that matter across all the different markets. You're going to have to cater to local preferences and almost every market in Europe has one or two um payment categories that are particularly strong that you're gonna to have to offer if you wanna have a compelling consumer experience. The only um constant, I think, that we've seen is obviously car payments. But that's I think also where the, the opportunity lies within account-based payments or instant bank payments, as we like to call it, because this is a category that is growing um, all across the different markets. But some markets have come further than others. Um, and I usually get the question when, when sort of we discuss sort of the differences across the different markets if this is due to the fact that open banking has been embraced differently um, in the different European markets. And while that is certainly the case, I don't think that's the underlying factor or the underlying reason. Um, for why we see um, different uptake from consumers in different markets. I think basically the, the reason for that is that quite simply the consumer experience differs so much. So for example, the um, some of the markets that have a, had extremely strong uptake are the Nordics um, here in Sweden. And I think that is largely owing to the fact that you have a nationwide identification system that you can use to log into basically any kind of online service called BankID um, with which you can really build very smooth online payments on the back of open banking. And that looks different in every single market in Europe. There are some markets in Europe where people will still use scratch cards um, to enter into their bank account to, to sort of authenticate and get a one time code. Obviously, in such a market, you're not going to have a strong demand um, for instant bank based payments that are built on the back of open banking. Um, but what we see is that all markets are improving and there is now a critical number of markets in Europe that already have a strong um, preference basically for um, open banking payments and that's basically where I think the opportunity lies um, and in the past of course has also been the challenge.
0: Yeah it's, it's really interesting that that you you talk about you know in the Nordics specifically I suppose consumers there are a bit more kind of familiar or perhaps at ease with this idea of of kind of data sharing and, and um, kind of digital applications
1: would that be fair to say? Yeah no absolutely uh, most definitely yeah um, that is, that is also part of it. And, um, because of course, due to that, this would already in the past have promoted different players in the market. So, for example, here in Sweden, we have a company called Swish, um, that is an account based payment system and other markets in Europe have similar champions, so to say. You have Ideal in the Netherlands, which is also. Um, for all intents and purposes, um, an account-based payment method. You have support, of course, in Germany, which is privately held by Klarna, um, but that is also owing to, of course, the different attitudes and how much they've already managed to build the category in the different markets.
0: Yeah, it's fascinating when you when you do take a closer closer look at Europe and and see some of those differences and kind of dig down into them. I think it, it can be a really paint a, a kind of more accurate picture, actually, of the region, whereas obviously people tend to kind of gather all European countries up into kind of one homogenous entity, which which isn't always very helpful, is it? And, and I guess, was that something that you had to keep in mind when you were starting up Bright Payments?
1: You mean the differences across Europe and sort of how, yes. Yeah. Oh, certainly. Yeah. yeah. No, definitely. I mean, so for example, typically, I think when you, um as, as a payment company, you want to be able to service Uh, enterprise-sized merchants quite early on because they are usually um, a really great way sort of to enter into the market and provide a service to. But the challenge is that in Europe, a lot of the larger merchants, retailers, financial services providers you can basically take any category Um, the large ones they're usually quite international so they're looking for a solution that doesn't just work in one market but it has to work in a number of markets or it doesn't really make sense for them to implement you Um, so you want to be able to cover a critical number of markets quite quickly but because of the local differences that can become quite complex especially if you're a young company um, and that is something that we discussed at length um, here at Bright with regards to what markets uh, should we tackle first, what markets are crucial to build a, process, a product in that we can offer straight away, um, and how can we make ourselves an attractive supplier um, for such merchants so that we can have a very smooth go-to-market. So it's something that we've been looking at quite a lot.
0: Yeah, and on that then, I mean, you know, you're talking about a kind of seamless open banking experience, I suppose, for, for merchants, but also for consumers. and. And when we're talking about that, what what are the priorities there and, and how are you kind of delivering those seamless experiences at Bright?
1: Right. So we're generally speaking um, very consumer focused because we're a branded payment method. So the consumer will always consciously choose us in the checkout. They're obviously, given where the industry is right now, they're primarily looking to pay with their bank account. And then I think the the brand choice is probably secondary, if if we're being very honest. Um, But we're always exposed. So the consumer will always understand that they're sort of using Bright to pay with their bank account. So coming from that um, angle, so to say, it's really important for us that the consumer experience is extremely smooth because that's where really the, um, the opportunity lies. From an open banking point of view, the benefits for the merchants, they're fairly obvious. And I think that's been covered at length in the media with regards to cost savings, predictability, cash flow and all these advantages. From the consumer point of view, perhaps it's less obvious why you want to sort of pay or start adopting a new payment method. So the only way in my mind um, sort of to get widespread widespread adoption from a consumer point of view is to ensure that it's extremely convenient and easy to use the service. So one thing that we spend a great deal of time in uh, on over here at Bright is actually what we call single sign. So it's essentially our version of one-click payments for open banking. And I think having launched that, um, so basically what it means is that we would only require one single authentication for a consumer to make a payment. In the past, what, what what you would have had is basically two authentications, one authentication where you enter the bank account and show the consumers the list of accounts to pay from, and the second one to authenticate the payment. We have combined it all in one. And having done that, I think for the first time, we can actually say that that is for a first-time user more convenient than making a credit card payment. And I think that is such an important um, achievement if you're you one of the uh, people, such as I'm a very strong proponent of that, of course, um, believing that actually account based payments and open banking are here to challenge card payments. Um, so that's been a really, really big focus, sort of ensuring that the payment experience is as smooth as it can be um then obviously merchants are our primary customers for a B2B to C business model so on the merchant side we focus a lot on sort of what additional value we can we can provide to merchants beyond the obvious um benefits that we've already discussed and that is for example the fact that you can basically get access to all of the markets through just one single API integration so that's basically keeping the technical investment at a minimum but it's also um, ensuring that you have additional value-added services. So, for example, a KYC service, um, if you want to do that, an H-verification and verticals where that is relevant, um, an FX um, uh, service that we can offer, basically, if you want to have, for example, payouts all across the different markets and different currencies, you can just deposit in one single currency. Um, so that's our focus on the merchant side. So on the consumer side, convenience. On the merchant side, um, additional services that can create value.
0: OK, and just wanted to pick up on something you'd kind of talked about with a bit earlier, which is about kind of partnerships. I mean, we've heard for a few years now about the, the benefits in open banking of, of perhaps partnerships between some of the larger incumbent banks and the smaller fintechs, you know. So I, I'm kind of interested to hear from from you, Lena, on on why you view Partnerships to be sort of so important still in, in the fintech space. I know that Bright recently partnered with with SoFort, who you've referred to earlier. So with that in mind then, what, what does a good partnership look like to you?
1: I would say a good partnership is a partnership that is mutually beneficial for both of the parties involved in the partnership. And then ideally, obviously, also creates um, additional value for stakeholders in that partnership. So looking at SoFord, for example, um, we're extremely happy about this partnership because SoFord is the largest provider in the account-based payment space in Europe. I think that maybe hasn't been so super obvious because since they've been acquired by Klarna, Klarna also has an open banking offering called Klarna Cosma, and I think people can sometimes confuse the two. But so, for it as a standalone brand, is actually the largest one in Europe, and so because of that, they have an amazing merchant base that they've been working with for many, many, many years, and they obviously have a lot of trust with consumers. Um, So, but what they lacked in their offering is they didn't have an instant payout solution, which is something that we at Bright. Um, can provide. So we when we do an instant payout, um, we do that within 10 seconds all across Europe, all across the markets that we actually cover. So to that end, um, I think it's mutually beneficial in the sense that we are partnering what, what we see as the strongest player on the market um, in our space. And they are benefiting from our solution in the sense that they can now offer a true closed loop payment solution um, to the thousands of merchants that they already have um, making their product um, more advantageous. So basically, that is, to me, much beneficial, and that's why I think it's such a strong partnership. And then on top of that, I think from a merchant point of view, then as a stakeholder in this partnership, um, what you get is you get an amazing consumer brand. They have 94% brand awareness in Germany. So it's perhaps the largest logo payment brand um, on that market. Um, so you then get a combination of that with a very strong instant payout product um which arguably i think is is more attractive than working perhaps with another pioneer on the market that is not yet as established um so from that uh point of view i think it's it's very promising for everybody involved
0: yeah it's great to hear about that partnership and obviously you know as as i mentioned there have been a number in, in the industry obviously for the, for the reasons you mentioned. But something I wanted to pick up on was obviously you're talking about kind of that that relationship you have with with consumers, building trust there so that they start to use kind of instant bank payments a bit more. I mean, do you see a time when those kind of payments will be mainstream and card payments will will be, you know, the kind of second, maybe even third choice uh, that consumers use to pay for goods and services?
1: I think absolutely. In select verticals, I think that can absolutely happen. I think it will take some time, but definitely. The way that I like to um, look at sort of the alternative payment space is that sort of different use cases and different verticals cater to different consumer preferences. Um So, for example, if you compare, say, take, for example, the fashion vertical where Klarna is extremely strong. Um, of course, that is partly also driven by the way that people shop clothes online, right? Because quite often when you order clothes, you'll order multiple sizes, you'll order items that you haven't tried before um, that you would like to sort of try on at home first and then decide if you want to keep it. So then it is really convenient um, to actually buy, buy a number of clothes and only pay for whatever you keep in the end so that's a verdict for example where maybe our category of payments does not offer the strongest consumer proposition for every single use case so i think buy an operator for example will always be strong Um, In that particular vertical, then there's other verticals um, where you have a very clear view of what you would like to keep, for example, and then other payment methods come into play. So I think we're going to see a sort of a more nuanced preference on the consumer side, depending on how they shop in that particular vertical. And I certainly think there's a really large number of verticals where account best payments are the best or is the best category of payments to cater to consumer needs. And I think that's where we're going to see the uptake in the next um, couple of years for sure.
0: Well, as I guess you mentioned, you know, there is this um, kind of momentum that's built up behind kind of A2A payments in Europe. I was wondering what you think the industry needs to do to kind of capitalise on that momentum and ensure that, you know, they continue to kind of take market share of that payment space and, and, and innovate as well, of course.
1: Yeah, no, that's a that's a really, really interesting question. So I think um, coming back a little bit to what you were saying about partnerships and their importance, um, I think anybody that's been in the payments industry knows that payments generally is an industry that depends on sort of a multitude of different facilitators and aggregators, right? Most online merchants today, for example, they work with a PSB. And that is partly driven by what we were saying earlier about <laughs> different local preferences and different markets. And sort of it's for most online merchants is not realistic, and it's actually not um, the right economic decision to go and integrate with all these different payment providers individually. So what they'll do is they'll go through an aggregator, um, for example, a PSP. And where we are in, because our category of payments, open banking payments, they're still so young. um, Not all of the PSPs have fully embraced this category of payments. So we currently have a market situation in Europe where the majority of PSPs has not integrated sort of a number of different open banking payment alternatives. And if you compare that to other categories of payments, um, again, by now, for example, you typically have the full range, range of choice because those providers have been in the market for a little bit longer. So I think in order um, for providers such as ourselves, but also our competitors, to get full access, basically, to the merchant base in Europe. What we'll need is basically PSP is actually integrating us um, and making us available to those merchants. And these processes are obviously ongoing, but from experience, I know this takes a couple of years um, to happen across the industry so that the merchants actually get the full range and not forced to do direct integrations if they don't want to. So that is one important aspect that I think that needs to happen in order really for the category to reach its potential. The other, I would say, is connected to, um, from the provider point of view, um, I think is for us to work together to help build the category, especially also in the regulatory context. Um, Because also on this side of payments, Um, the market is quite fragmented still. Um, So you have basically, generally speaking, a dynamic where you have, for example, uh, the European Banking Authority um, creating rules around sort of how these payment methods are to be used, what the banks are obliged to deliver in their APIs, for example. But you also have the local supervisory authorities in the different markets um, that also have a view Um, On how the industry should evolve and how the industry should actually work. And these two instances, sort of the pan-European level and the local level, they're not always aligned. Um, And that creates some friction um, between the different markets and also for providers such as ourselves, it creates um, complexity. And there are still like a number of questions that need to be resolved that are quite important um, to the delivery of an attractive service. So say, for example, um, most recently, there still has not been an SLA requirement for open banking APIs. Um, so what you can have sometimes is that a bank will say, oh, sorry, you know, our open banking API is down for eight hours on next Saturday. And obviously coming from the payments world, this is impossible. Imagine PayPal will be down for eight hours during a Saturday. It's It's unimaginable, right? I mean, that's It's not a way that anybody can can work and certainly not a way to create a mass market uh, payment method. And this affects all providers alike, of course. Um, And that is something, for example, that we want to work on improving. And we're actually in in dialogues with some of our competitors um, to make sure that we influence um, and give feedback on the regulatory development of open banking payments in Europe. Um, And I think doing that in a really effective way will also help build the category.
0: Yeah, I think um, you certainly make a really, really good point there about the the regulatory side of things. And um, one final question for you, Lena. We've obviously um, looked ahead at at kind of the industry more widely and what the future holds there, but it would be great to hear from you about what's on the horizon for Bright Payments.
1: Yes, absolutely. Right now we're actually very much focused on our geographic expansion um, because we've been fortunate enough to... um, get a lot of really large clients on board or large merchants that we're working with that have quite the international uh, geographic spread across Europe. So we're actually looking into entering more markets uh, and being able sort of to establish local operations also in those markets. So we're hiring quite actively to make sure that we have local teams um, that can work alongside our customers in the different markets. And then we're actually also looking at the recurring payment space. Um, Right now, so subscription based payments for any kind of um, online business model that that operates on a recurring payments flow, um, which I think is a super, super interesting area, because in the past, those businesses would have primarily worked with credit card payments, um, with the challenge being that every credit card eventually expires. So you sort of have a built in churn. Uh, in your customer population, when a card expires, where you have to ping a customer and ask them to renew your, their card. And what typically happens is, of course, that a portion of the customer population will have maybe forgotten that they even have their subscription. So then they don't go ahead. They don't renew. And then um, merchants lose customers. And that is something that I think open banking has um, the potential to solve and help improve tangible um, merchant pain points. And that's something that we're looking at right now. Um, that uh, I think is going to be um, a really interesting use case that we can add to our portfolio.
0: Yeah, that's um, a, a really interesting move into the kind of recurring payment space. I know there's, again, quite a lot of momentum behind that at the moment. Um, is that something then that you'd be looking kind of to to develop into sort of this year or, or would it be further, further afield, maybe into 2023?
1: No, it would be this year. Yes, we're already in discussions with the, sort of the first clients, and we're already scoping. So it would be relatively soon, I hope.
0: Oh, great! Well, we'll um, uh, look out for that then. At Open Openmaking Expo. Well, Lena. I know we've we've covered a lot in today's discussion, but um, I think it's been really insightful to hear how you started up Bright Payments, um, where the business is now, and, and also kind of get your outlook for the payments industry more widely in, in Europe, which is um, moving so fast. So thank you so much for coming on the podcast.
1: Thanks for having me.
0: My thanks again to Lena from Bright Payments there for a fascinating discussion about the outlook for payments in in Europe. It really is a great time to be having this conversation, I think. Uh, That's all from us for today. But do visit the on-demand section of openbankingexpo.com to listen to all the latest episodes of Open Banking Expo Unplugged. We've had some great guests on talking about uh, open banking payments, of course. but a range of other topics and we've got some great regional uh, themes coming up as well on the series. That's all for now. Goodbye.